Hey, what's up, everyone? MTG Goldfish Podcast here, back with episode 13. So a little different today. It's just me and Seth. So just you and me, buddy. Oh, yeah. So missing Richard today, but that's all right. Uh, so we're going to get through a lot of stuff. Me and Seth are just going to ta- tackle it all. Uh, we have a lot, of, long list of things to talk about. So just so everyone knows, we're gonna, I'm going to run down the list real quick. So we're going to talk about Tempest Remastered, a ton of Star City Games events, the Invitational and all the Opens, the Trending segment, and we had a, a, a fish mail from last week that we didn't get to do, so sorry about that. Uh, we had Jake on, and we just totally botched the fish mail, so that's on us, and sorry about that, but we're going to answer it this week. Yeah, so Seth, you ready to get through this stuff? Let's do it. I'm ready. All right, man. So as always, uh, you can follow us at mtggoldfish.com, at boltsnapbolt, and at saffronolive. So let's just kick it off. Tempest Remastered was released, and uh, it was pretty interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I'm disappointed that we can't play it in paper. Like, whenever these sets come out, that's the first thing I think is, why do we have to deal with this damn reserve list? Because we could yeah. do such awesome things. Like, if this set was in paper, how sweet would that be? It would be pretty sweet. Um, it would certainly be a financial headache. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it would be sweet. I always thought that, too. You know, these Moto things, like, I understand they really want to push the Moto scene and have these kind of very exclusive stuff for Moto. But, yeah, it seems a little weird that, like, they never do this stuff on paper. But I guess, you know, they really couldn't. Because, I mean, really, what, what Vintage Masters... I mean, Vintage Masters would be insane. But, I mean, like, uh, I love playing Legacy. Like, that's my favorite format. And it's... I mean, I hate to be the one that says it's dying. I know that comes up, like, every so often. But there's just not that many, like, dual lands to go around. So either, like, sooner or later, either we got to get a replacement or else we're just not going to be able to play these awesome formats anymore. Yeah. So, but with Tempest Remastered, that definitely brings down the price of a certain select uh, Legacy staple, so it's even cheaper to play Legacy on Moto now. Yeah, Living Death. You can have them all you want for like 10 cents each. <laughs> <laughs> but where's Hatred? <laughs> I I guess they, uh, R&D must just hate that card. Yeah, I guess so, because it's not even in the damn set. Uh, so. I mean, Wasteland is the big news. Like, we get yeah. Wasteland, Wasteland's a rare... I did the math on it. Like, in original Tempest, you'd open a Wasteland about once every 37 drafts, like you personally. Um, wow. In the new set, you'll open one about once every 20 drafts. So it is less rare than it was before, even being an uncommon in the original printing. So we're definitely going to be getting more Wasteland. So that's super exciting. Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, so they did bump it up to rare. So that was something that we mentioned on a previous podcasts about, you know, if they would shift it around at rarity. So that's good that they did bring it up to a rare, because, I mean, if they really were to reprint this in paper at some point, I would have to assume it would be rare well, uh, if they brought it back. They can reprint Wasteland, right? Like, that's not on the reprint yeah. list. I yeah, don't know. and Force of Will as well. So I don't know where I where they would reprint it. Like, that's... But I don't know. I, I, you're right. They're not going to put it as an uncommon in the paper world. I don't even know if they put it as a rare in the paper world, honestly. Well, you know, they could do, like, what they... They could give it the same treatment as they did Jace, just throw it in, like, one of those box sets, like, you know, MSRP, X, you know, 60 bucks or something like that, 
and have it as a rare. Yeah, and I mean, I guess they did just make some more Judge promos. Not that uh, that adds yeah. that many cards to circulation, but... Yeah, and uh, it seems like a very limited way to, you know, push some more Wastelands into the market via, like, like I said, a, a box set or something like that. Um, I, I would think that would be the most obvious way they would reprint it. I'm because I don't, I don't think they would really reprint it in a huge in a uh, like a Magic Origins or something like that. I'm hoping they they design a standard with no non-basic lands, so you only can play basics, but then print Wasteland in one of the sets in that standard. Because it then it, it doesn't do anything in standard, but it still gets in circulation. I don't think that that'll ever true. happen, but it could. That is true. Yeah, that that would make it pretty useless in the standard <laughs> with no non-basic. So yeah, uh, are you planning on drafting a lot of uh, Tempest Remastered, or is this like something that's not for you? I I draft everything that comes on Magic Online. <laughs> like no matter how good or bad the set is, I'm gonna draft it. So I'm sure I'll draft a ton of it. I am happy that packs are only four bucks instead of being the premium pricing like Vintage Masters or Modern Masters. So that makes it a little more uh, affordable, at least. I don't do Moto, so for me, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, for everyone out there, you know, looking forward to Tempest Remastered, the whole set was spoiled. No hatred. Forbid it rare. Seth is sad. (laughs) (laughs) Stark of Wrath at Mythic, of all things. (laughs) <laughs> Stark of Wrath and Mythic. What the hell is going on? <laughs> I remember you um, showing your disdain for Forbid at Myth uh, Rare well, on Twitter. Oh, so. And it's not just Forbid. Like, every good blue card got bumped up in rarity. Counterspells and Uncommon. Capsizes Uncommon. Dismisses Uncommon. Even crappy blue cards like Dream Prowler and Rootwater Hunter. All these cards went from common to uncommon. They just really put the nails in blue in this set, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, Blue is super strong in this block, so <laughs> I I don't really blame them for it. But yeah, and I guess for people that want to do overpowered things in draft. I just uh, want to lock you sorry. out of the game. Like, no offense, I just want to forbid every spell you play. And for me, that's fun. Like, that's how magic should be. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely how magic should be. <laughs> that's, that, that's totally fun. Yeah, uh, let's... We have the Star City Games coming up uh, to talk about. Do you want to have anything more to note about Tempest Remastered? No, I mean, I think I think we pretty much covered it. We still got a couple months till it comes out. Uh, why, yeah. we're, why we're talking Magic Online, though, I did want to mention this weekend is the Dragons of Tarkir pre-release. So starting Friday, um, we'll have all the events up. You'll be able to play sealed. You'll be able to do drafts. Uh, so this whole weekend, if you don't have anything going on, Make sure to hit up Moto and get some, your hands on some of the new cards. I mean, it's basically the same exact thing as a paper pre-release, just uh, with the help of your computer. So it should be a good time. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, going on Moto, really getting on there, getting some pre-releases in there, should be really great. All right, so moving along. So Dragons of Tarkir is now constructed legal. And Seth, you wrote an article on MTG Goldfish Dragons of Tarkir's by uh, Dragons of Tarkir rather by the numbers. So, why don't you discuss a, a little bit about your article in case anyone hasn't read it yet, and then we can talk about the tournaments themselves. Okay. Well, every time a new set comes out, one thing I like to do is to uh, take the first big tournament that we have and see just how much of the new set is actually getting played. Um, so I did this for Dragons of Tarkir. And I looked at the STG Open, 
instead of the Invitational, mostly because the Invitational uh, only reported a few deck lists, and it's a split format, so it makes it really weird. But so there was, we had a top 64 deck list from the Open this weekend, and pretty much the big winner is Dramoka's Command, like far and away the most played card from the set. Um, it's not even especially close. There were 46 copies um, in the main deck. And then we had things like Thunderbreak Regent, Anticipate, like all these cards were played and came in a little bit behind uh, Dramoka's Command. We also had Zergol Bellstriker was up there. So I think the set made a pretty good impact, but like we thought, most of the cards, with the exception of Thunderbreak Regent and Anticipate to some extent, were more of two and three ofs than four ofs. Yeah, I think uh, we kind of nailed a lot of the stuff uh, on the podcast, except for you guys on Dragon uh, Lord Ojutai. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I hate being right, uh, mostly because I didn't buy them, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> you want my dra- Descent of the Dragons? I'll trade you one for one. Tr- Dragon Lord Ojutai. <laughs> nah, no one will do that. But no, probably not. <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you all my dr- descents for your Ojutais. <laughs> yeah, but I did I did really like Dramoka's command. It was getting a lot of uh, press, I should say, from a lot of the pros on Twitter. A, a lot of these cards. So Seth put it all together. The numbers are on there. You know, Zergo Bell Striker we knew was going to kind of show up in some form that red, you know, being very popular as these, as the formats change and as the meta shifts change a little bit before things kind of settle down. Death Miss Raptor showed up a lot too. Now, while we did kind of not like this card, it's still very narrow. It does fit into green, white devotion. So I guess we were half right. Yeah. Right? I mean, I guess we're half right. I still, I'm still not convinced that Green White Devotion really needs that card. Like, I guess it's fine, but it's still, I mean, everyone's playing it, but it doesn't really excite me in that deck. The double green and being able to, they do morph a lot for it to be relevant, so obviously it's going to be fitting in that deck. And yeah, just moving into what we saw at the Invitationals and all these uh, that weren't televised in any sort of way. I say televised, but I guess really just streamed. I'm old school like that, I guess, but... (laughs) The opens were not uh, recorded at all. So there were a ton of results coming in for all facets of Constructed. There's some interesting stuff that went on there uh, in the Invitational and in the opens. From these numbers that Seth put up, um, so Sidisi, everyone was kind of high on that card too, and that didn't really show up a lot. Narset didn't show up as much as a lot of people would think. And really, yeah, far and away, it's it's Jamoka's command leading the charge is the most played card from Dragons of Tarkir. And I mean, I think if you look over that list, part of the problem is the more complex cards, the cards that you're still trying to figure out where they work best came in lower. Like Sidisi and Narset, they're super powerful, but they're not a Thunderbreak Regent, which is just like this beater that goes into any deck that can play a double red spell. Like, it takes yeah. a little longer to figure out the best build for Narset or Sidisi or these other cards. Yeah, absolutely. A- another couple of performers that were kind of starting to creep up, and this is also, uh, it also happened to be uh, winning a couple modern PPT uh, cues that <laughs> we're going to get to this actually in the trending segment a little more. But um, Collected Company was actually kind of good. 
yeah, people tried to play it. I was I didn't think that card could do it in modern, especially or in standard. I mean, especially after reading that you probably need 22 creatures that can hit for it to work. But people are playing it, and there are decks that really do have like 24 creatures of a low enough converted mana cost to hit them with Collective Company. Yeah, uh, so it was really interesting to see. Uh, so the top eight, we're going to uh, do the open first. So Jeskai Heroic, Abzan Aggro, Red Green, Red Green, Green White Devotion, Jeskai Tokens, Jeskai Fireworks, and Red Green. So Red Green is just pretty much everywhere. Yeah, there's actually, with the Red Green decks, there's actually two different builds in there. We have uh, some decks that are basically... Thunderbreak Regent, Surak, the, uh, the Hunt Caller decks, which are pretty much red-green monster builds. Then there's others that are mono-red decks that are splashing green for a Tarka's Command and some sideboard cards. Yeah, that that was really interesting. Because a Tarka's Command and Dramoka's Command seemingly are the ones primed to do well in modern. So it's good that they're doing well in standard because that usually translates well to older formats in terms of, like, at least modern anyway. Uh, you know, when you think about it, a lot of the staples in standard usually ends up being staples in modern for the most part. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. aside from, <laughs> yeah, aside from like these kind of random weird cards sometimes, uh, that usually ends up happening. Especially two mana cards. Like these are really powerful and they're cheap enough that they fit into eternal formats. So if you have a two mana card that's really powerful in standard, there's a good chance it can make that jump to modern. Yeah. So just to go over the, so we go over all of them, the Invitational and um, what a finals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was that was a crazy finals and, um, you know, just really didn't end that well. But, you know, it was basically just Jacob Wilson in the driver's seat most of the time, uh, the whole way, really. Uh, so just to go over the top eight real quick, Abzan Control, Sadissi Whip, Abzan Aggro, Green-White Devotion, Red, Aggro, Jeskai Tokens, Abzan Control, Red-Green again. So a lot of the different kind, uh, you know, very similar results uh, from the Open and the Invitational. Just the the Open was like 550 players, right? Yeah, 555 players at the Open. Yeah, that's a lot. So big EV event. Uh, most of these will probably be seen coming up in the Pro Tour, right? I would assume so. Um, these decks? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, it's interesting. One, one thing Owen Turtonwall really pointed out several times on Twitter is that both Reed Duke and Jacob Wilson weren't playing the best decks they had for the tournament. They were intentionally hiding the deck that they want to play for the Pro Tour. So they're playing uh. these stock lists with only a couple new cards. So I'm really curious to see how much the Pro Tour does look like this. But at least the other pros are saying these aren't the decks they're going to play. These are just some decks to play at this one tournament, so no one knows what they will play at the Pro Tour. I see. So there is some trickery going on out there. All right, pros. Um, yes. <laughs> sneaky, very sneaky. But yeah, uh, Dramoka's Command, uh, a couple little collected company in there in these these open lists. A lot of Thunderbreak Region and uh, just a lot of red, green, and red. <laughs> so, I guess, yeah, you're right. I guess the pros are all kind of going to be phasing that out come the Pro Tour. <laughs> Either that or there's, there's even some other kind of crazy aggro deck that we don't even know about yet. 
Yeah, I, I have no idea what to expect, really. I, I'd like to think that the pros are going to figure out the best Narset deck and the best Sadisi deck and, like, put some of these really powerful cards to use. Like, they have two weeks of solid testing to get there. So I'd like to think that we're going to see some cool new stuff in a couple weeks. Yeah, me too. So you can see all these results on MTG Goldfish um, all the time. Uh, they're updated daily. Just to touch on the modern and the legacy, well, I mean, we're not really the legacy aficionado in this crew, but uh, we'll go over it anyway. So, But the modern, so Affinity Infect Giftstron, I think it's listed as Grixis. So, yeah, this was a Grixis control list, Jeskai control, two merfolks, and a Naya Zoo featuring Collected Company. Wow. Yeah. So you were kind of... I've noticed that you were kind of high on gifts for a little, you know, as, uh, you know, in terms of the finance, but uh, also just in terms of playing the deck, right? So this is good yeah, for I you. Yeah, I just, it's awesome for me. Gifts is such a powerful card. Like, there's some there's some decks in Modern that literally just can't be a turn four gifts on given. Like, it's a yeah. one card win the game combo. <laughs> but no one plays it, really. And you're not dealing with Deathrite Shaman anymore. There's not that many scavenging oozes. Like, there's some really good ways to abuse your graveyard uh, with the cards you dump in there from gifts. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if this be, uh, continues to be a trend. The Naya Zoo list featuring uh, Collected Company was very interesting. Seems very stock Naya aggro just with Collected Company. Uh, and that's actually kind of terrifying. <laughs> because I would not want to know... Uh, Tarmogoyfs at the end of my turn. Yeah, that's what I pretty much figured. Like, that's an awesome value card. Everyone wanted to break it as this combo piece, but just dumping a Knight of the Reliquary and a Loxodon Smiter on the battlefield at the end of your opponent's turn is a lot of power for four mana. Yeah. The instant speed, like, I, I, I mean, I couldn't say that enough when we were evaluating this card back in the in previous podcasts of Dragons of Tarkir. I mean, instant is super strong. And, yeah, Getting getting a smiter and a just a smiter and a a tarmogoyf is like nine power for four mana and two creatures. I mean that's insane. So we'll see if that trend and, continues. And got, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean there's tw- there's 27 creatures in that deck, so you're almost guaranteed to hit two of them. Like it's a perfect build for abusing collected company. Yeah. Uh, anything else uh, regarding the modern or standard section? Because uh, I wanted to look at the legacy too. Well, there were there were two Merfolk decks in the top eight in Modern, which is pretty weird. Uh, that's not a deck you would expect to see two of in the top eight. Um, I don't know why right now that deck is... It seems to be getting better in the format. Like, over the last few months, it's been kind of trickling into the top eight list, and now there's two of them this weekend, so so I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, one of them actually featuring uh, Monastery Siege from Fate Reforged. Oh, so. Really? Yeah, I've heard uh, I've had a few spicy. people on Yeah, I've had a few people on Twitter tell me it's very good in Merfolk. So, we'll see if maybe that's sort of the kind of cards I that mean, it needed to get over the top. I'm assuming that they're using it to basically turn their team into a Frost Titan with a second ability so they can't be bolded or path without their opponent paying two more. Yeah. And that seems really good in a deck where you just want to stick a bunch of lords and have them live and you pretty much beat everyone. So that uh, Monastery Siege lets you do that. Yeah, it certainly does. So interesting stuff. Uh, The Legacy event. So there was Reanimator, Infect, Miracles, Death and Taxes, 
Grix as Delver, Shard was Bug as the top eight. So that's super diverse. So, yeah, eight different uh, decks. Yeah. Uh, so I guess Richard would be very happy. <laughs> so shout out to Richard there for the legacy. Uh, still legacy being very diverse. I don't see anything really crazy about any of these deck lists, but uh, I think he'll have to chime in there uh, when we get him back next week. Again, just me and Seth handling the podcast this week. So let's move along. And again, you can see all the results up on mtggoldfish.com. So what we have next is uh, the trending segment. So this segment will probably be a little longer this week since it's just me and Seth. Uh, I guess two financial minds just going at it, right? Uh, so we we try to devote a good a chunk of time to this each podcast, but I guess you'll get a special extended version this week. So uh, do you want to handle the, the trending cards, uh, Seth? Just name them out. And you yeah, can sure. Find, uh, just to, you can find these trending cards on MTG Goldfish every single day. So have at it, Seth. All right, basically all the dragon uh elder dragons are trending this week. Thunderbreak Regent is trending. Uh Shirak the Huntcaller, Sadissi Undead Vizier, Dramoka's Command, Deathmiss Raptor, and even Dragon Whisperer. Those are the big so, winners. A lot of dragons. All dra- <laughs> all dragons of uh Tarkir cards and a lot of literal dragons as well. Yeah, so a ton of dragons. Um so some interesting stuff in there. So Ojutai leading the charts. Uh, that's good. I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we we so you win some, you lose some in this uh, finance business, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there are some other. Uh, so in the modern, just to go over modern brief uh, briefly. So Sword of Feast and Famine, Ink Moth, Academy Ruins, Vendillion Click. Vengevine duplicate for the daily, but for the weekly, so Eye of Ugin is creeping up, and that could be a Battle of Zendikar hype. Yeah, I mean more Eldrazi, I guess. I I don't know. That's a that's a weird one. Yeah. Um Ink Moth Nexus, Dark Confidant, Academy Ruins, Thought Seas, Abrupt Decay, Damnation. Uh so a lot of interesting stuff. Tarmogoyf's finally on the top losers. And for the weekly and the the daily. So, but it's still hovering around $200. So I've been seeing just to talk about Tarmogoyf really quickly. Again, I've been seeing a lot of people saying on Twitter, Oh, you know, Tarmogoyf still going up the, the, you know, despite the reprint. So what do you think could be attributing to the card quote unquote going up? I, I have no idea. Like, I don't understand why anyone, I think I say this almost every time we talk about Tarmogoyf. I don't know why anyone's expecting it to increase in price this time around. We know we're getting more of Modern Masters 2015 than we did of Modern Masters. Uh, we don't know exactly how much more, but I just can't imagine there being enough demand to keep this card increasing in price. Yeah, I it, it's it's just interesting because you're right. We do know this time around it's going to be a larger print run. How exactly much larger is still a question mark. But, I mean, is that a question mark you want to answer by buying $160, $170, you know, $150 Tarmogoyfs? Because while a lot of those sites that are showing Tarmogoyfs movement have it at 200 you know, it's just shy of 200 right? Yep. They're still being completed in the 150 to 170 range. So that's kind of 
you know, a lot of people like to maybe discount eBay or something like that, uh, but that's kind of the true value of the card, I, I like to say, because that's what people are actually paying. Uh, there's still a lot of copies, uh, slightly played to lightly played on TCG player, you know, in the $150 range. I mean, for me, it's about risk management. Like, I can't imagine it increasing in price this time around. So the absolute worst thing that can happen if you sell Goyf is you buy him again for the same price three months from now. The best thing that can happen if you sell him is it drops down to 100 bucks and you can buy back in for half of what you sold him for. Yeah. So if you were to, if you were, if you sold now or are in the market of selling Tarmogoyfs, and you sold them for $165, you know, even $170, let's just say. You're still just selling them now and waiting, you know, keeping that money aside for the repurchase. Once Modern Masters starts getting opened and all these copies start flooding the market, you're still leaving like $70 on the table if you don't sell. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't think it's going to keep going up as copies are entering the market it's going to go down maybe it'll appreciate but if again if we hit if we get another modern masters two years from now there's no way this can start this can keep decreasing and increasing in between the print run yeah i agree with you it's just impossible and a a lot of people are discounting the foreign cards if if people really need a tarmogoyf and they need it to play modern and there's a Chinese version or whatever version is out there that's not English, and it's cheaper than the English version, I'm thinking they're going to go with the Chinese version just to play modern. I mean, 20 bucks or even 30 bucks a card is a lot saved on the playset. Yeah. No, that's a huge difference. So, again, people that are out there, I guess you're a lot bolder than me because I really want nothing to do with Tarmogoyf. And again, I've been saying I sold mine, but again, it's your money. I'm not telling you really what to do. It's just my inclination that I, I really don't like leaving money on the table as a financier, uh, and I, I feel like that's what you're doing with the Tarmogoyfs. I mean, if you're playing them, that's fine. Like, if you got yeah, some modern obviously. events coming up and it's worth losing a few bucks, definitely keep them. But if you just got them sitting there... I don't see what the upside is to not getting out of them now. Yeah. So that's a tricky one. There was also a foil buyout (laughs) for collected company reasons, and that card is Garza's Assassin. Oh, what does that card do, Chaz? Well, I had to look it up (laughs) because I've never heard of it before, and rightfully so because it was in Cold Snap. So I think there was, what, like three boxes worldwide opened of Cold Snap? Something like that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so Garza's Assassin is a triple black human assassin, 2-2, sacrifice Garza's Assassin, destroy target non-black creature. Recover. Pay half your life, round it up. When another creature is put into your graveyard from play, you may pay half your life, round it up. If you do, return this card from your graveyard to your hand. Otherwise, remove this card from the game. So, now that we know what it does... <laughs> I just, I have to address the MTG finance community and, you know, I don't, uh, this is not bad in any way, but can we please stop doing this? <laughs> like, can these crazy buyouts just please stop? Like, why are you buying out Foil Garza's Assassin? The, the, this trend has to 
start coming like start getting tempered in some way because you're just wasting money. Think about if you bought and, and I was actually looking at this foil online before this was bought out. So they were roughly like two to three dollars with shipping. So the the playset that you just bought of Garza's Assassin, you could turn around and buy an abrupt decay for ten dollars. And that would have been an infinitely better purchase than foil Garza's Assassin. Okay? Like, it's a one-of in a deck that won a PPTQ somewhere with 40 players. Okay? I actually did the research. 40 players. That's like nothing. And it did, That is not a high EV event. It didn't even win, right? Wasn't it like just missed there, top eight or something? No, no, no. Okay, so I got the full story. There were actually two simultaneous people playing it at a PPTQ, uh, one I found in the forums uh, of a site, and another I found that posted li- uh, the results elsewhere. So one went won the uh, tournament, went 4-0, again, 40 people, and the other barely missed the top, or, and the other missed the top eight. <laughs> again, one-ofs. I just, it's it's these crazy buyouts, like, I just... Really, you could. I think you can find a better way to spend ten dollars. Like, go buy an abrupt decay. Come on. Go buy a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the most unhealthy thing you can do, and it's probably better spent than buying Gra- than buying a Graz's assassin. Yeah. I don't know. How do you feel about like? I don't want to like downplay people in the in the community, and you know, I'm I'm all for people succeeding in the community, but what do you think about these like kind of specific buyouts now that we're just going to devote a little bit more time to the finance this week, uh, since it's me and you, Seth, uh, what do you think about stuff like this? I don't, I don't get it. Like I, I, the part I can't figure out is I would assume that once you buy these horrible cards enough times, you would stop doing it because you would just keep losing money and realize like after 15 or 20 times that it's not what you should be doing. But for some reason, it still keeps happening maybe more and more frequently as time goes by. Like the craziest cards, like you don't have to be a four of in a list. You don't even have to be in a real tournament. Like you can be in an F and M level event, 40 players, and you can be a one of, and people are going to buy out that card. Like it makes my head want to explode. You really have to do a little bit more research before you buy a card. And I, I feel like people aren't taking that time to do that research. Like you have to try and do a little bit more research before you're settled on buying a card. A one of in a PPTQ doesn't seem like a card that's worth buying. I just don't understand why this keeps happening. It, it's getting a little like, it, it just, ah, <laughs> we're smarter than that. I know we're smarter than that. <laughs> I know the the community is smarter than that. And, like, again, you could just buy an Abrupt Decay. Like, that's probably a way better card to be holding right now than a Foil Garza's Assassin. I understand if you need it for a deck, and maybe it wasn't really finance-related purchasing. Like, the, the, the finance community didn't buy this because there the truth is there wasn't a lot of Foil copies on the Internet as it was. So it could just be, like, someone bought a Foil playset just because they wanted it. And that basically wipes out like a third of the the the, mar, uh, the supply online. But this has been happening before. I'm more about results and 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 watching and seeing what you know seasoned players are doing and watching results of, of you know Star City Games or a high EV Pro Tour or something like that before I feel comfortable buying a 
a card. I, I'm not really the one to be doing like these weird speculative buys. Other than uh, I guess this trend that I'm doing now is like these really low uh, multiplier foils that are just like really weird. Uh, other than that, I don't really do like the speculative thing anymore. It's just a waste of money in my opinion. All that money that you could have been – you could even – all that money that you're going to sink into a very speculative purchase, you could just turn around and buy a Snapcaster Mage and that would probably even just – one single Snapcaster Mage and you would still probably make money. Yeah. I just, I just don't get it. I don't get it. And I mean I think if you if you compare it to like the real-life financial markets, if you want to be buying these kind of cards, you're pretty much like a day trader. You're looking to like buy this card – hope for a quick spike and get rid of it. And if you want to put that amount of time and effort into it, you also got to put a ton of research into what you're buying and you got to know exactly when to buy, exactly when to sell because these windows are really small. With cards like Snapcaster Mage and Abrupt Decay, you're like buying a mutual fund. You just buy the card, let it sit there for a year and it's going to be worth twice as much. Like you don't have to do a whole lot to realize uh, that cards like that are, are good investments. Yeah. Just to touch on the trending stuff. So this is all pretty much run of the mill kind of stuff. Is there any kind of anomalies in there that you you feel you need to touch on, Seth? No, I mean Dragon stuff is going up, which isn't that surprising considering how low the EV was. Like it's kind of getting more towards the normal range now or close to it. Um yeah. I'm excited to see Ink Moth on there. That's a card that I couldn't figure out why it didn't spike after the last Pro Tour with Infect being such a big deck in modern. And it just now is finally starting the game. Yeah, Ink Moth uh, is certainly doing well on the back of how well Infect is doing, so that's not really surprising. I don't know. That that could be a pretty good reprint target uh, for Modern Masters 2015, but apparently that doesn't matter. So, um, oh, another one on there, uh, Eye of Ugin. Yeah, I... I don't understand what's going on with that. All I can think is maybe it's people excited for more Eldrazi in the new Zendikar block, but it's a weird one. Could be, yeah. It's it's climbing pretty high, and um, yeah, that's a pretty weird foil multiplier still. Didn't yeah, really go anywhere. Are, the foils are really cheap, right? Like the the normal versions are hitting around fifteen, sixteen dollars, and the foils are twenty five. Yeah, so I mean that's less than a x2 multiplier which is out of the ordinary especially for a modern staple i guess or at least fringe modern playable yeah fringe modern edh you know i guess it has a couple uh applications it's a mythic so it could dodge and modern masters 2015 yeah i kind of think it will like there's not that many mythic slots to go around and Ayavugan doesn't really need to be one of them yeah, it would be interesting if this was bumped down to rare or or something like that. Maybe they do something along those lines. But it, again, it could take up a mythic because the Eldrazi are in it, so that would make sense. Because we know a Miraculous is one of the mythics, so I guess this could make sense as a mythic. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I, 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 I guess I really don't know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's possible, but I'm not sure how likely it is. Yeah, so again... Uh, th- that's the trending. Yeah, uh, wh- what do you have coming down the pipeline in terms of a uh, a finance article, Seth? Well, I just finished up the one uh, yesterday on breaking down the first week of uh, Dragons of Tarkir, and I am not 100% sure what is going to be coming up next, to be honest with you. I am uh, 
I know I'll be covering the Pro Tour in a couple weeks, but in between, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Uh, so based on your on your article, uh, what are some strong cars to be looking at financially in this set? Do you really want to just base it purely on numbers? Because then that's going to be Dramoka's Command uh, leading the chart. So I guess that feels very safe, right? I mean, that card feels insane in our current standard format. So I think that card's safe. I kind of am waiting to see because while this information is great, it also, I mean, the Pro Tour is the real big deal. Like, that's yeah, what really yeah. determines all this stuff. Yeah, so still temper expectations uh, out there. Um, I don't know how attractive Dramoka's Command is at 4. Yeah, I mean, I really think that card could end up being 9 or 10 bucks. I'm not sure buying in at 4 is worth it because you're not going to make that much per copy. But I really think it can go up from where it is now. Yeah. Well, if it does hit nine or ten, you know, from four, that's still a decent return, uh, enough to make the investment. But again, yeah, I would temper stuff uh, until the pro tour, especially because the the information's out there that people are kind of concealing their deck list for the pro tour. So that's going to be the deciding factor. Indeed. Yeah. So any anything else finance related? Um, well, I mean, we got a, a promo Thalia coming out. Uh, I don't know. You're right. We do. I, I don't know how much, uh, financial relevance that has. I think it's, what is this, a, uh, uh, PTQ promo? It's the, um, it's like that same, that, that Vengevine promo. Oh, okay. Like, what is that? That's like the, Ma- the World, World Magic the, Cup qualifier. Yeah. The World Magic Cup qualifier. So, Yeah. It's it's a very interesting looking promo. The, definitely a different take. The art is definitely different. I don't remember too many magic cards that have that close up face shot like that one does. No, certainly not. So I don't know really what the financial implications on that is gonna be yet, but it's certainly a great promo. I like it. Yeah, it's definitely sweet. And I think like Goblin Guide was the same group of promos, the WMCQ. Yep. And I think that's worth more than the original printing, so maybe it has a shot to be worth a few bucks. Ooh, I think, no, I think the Goblin Guide was a GP promo. Oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, I think the Goblin Guide was a GP promo. Yeah, I, you are right, that is a GP promo. Disregard. Yep, yep. just did the Google. Yep, me too. I've <laughs> <Just laughs> done that before talking. Yeah, it's all right. Um, so... What else do we have? So we have fish mail that we omitted last time. So the question, let me get the Twitter handle here. The question was from, and again, sorry for not including this in the last cast, but from uh, Nedwig1, so Ned, do you think there are enough promo foils to Dissy and Narset out there to dampen the growth of pack foils? There was a Narset pre-release promo? Um, I think he's talking uh, Narset Enlightened Master. And oh, okay. Yeah, right. okay. so I believe there was of that Narset. Right. Oh, okay. Um, I I think so. I think there's enough promo. Yeah, those pre-release promos really are a bitch. <laughs> you know. Um. Yeah. I'm not. I I think there's enough out there that will depress them for a little while. 
I'm not 100% convinced. I mean, Siege Rhino was technically one of these promos, and that still has a decent foil multiplier. Um, so I think it depends on the card. I think standard or modern staples are going to be dampened less, while casual right. cards probably will be more. Yeah, so in this in this instance, comparing these two to Siege Rhino, Siege Rhino sees a lot more play than these specific ones. Yeah. So I don't think... I, I think in this particular instance, the pre-release promo will keep those down. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking just these two cards in specific, then you you could be right. But I think in general, it's it's uh, you can't just say all the pre-release promos right. are going to be depressed. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it certainly depends on the card. So I guess a card by card basis, because the uh, another one to bring in, uh, not just Siege Rhino, but the the Dragon Lords uh, were all pre-release promos. And those are not acting like, I mean, those are acting like normal foils. So they're up in like the $30 range. I mean, it's kind of disappointing that these cards are don't have any alt art or anything. They're basically the pack foil, right? But with a stamp on them. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So it doesn't really set them apart as much from the pack foil. I think if they had unique art, they could actually command a premium for some of these Dragon Lords and other commander staples. Yeah, I mean, it would command a premium because you would have to actually attend the pre-release to get it. So, yeah, uh, kind of uh, a little bit more valuable there. I mean, depending on the art. I mean, people are really picky with that stuff, but I mean, I'm not really that picky. So, um, so that being said, I think we covered everything. We did it. I think we did. We did it. We got there. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> so a lot more finance for everyone in this episode. Hope you like it. Yeah, so me ranting on Tarmogoyf and Gar- Garza's Assassin a little bit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's good, that, it's good that you agree, Seth. I mean, again, just people, just do a little bit more research. All right? Please. Yeah, just, uh, just think before you buy something. As humans, we have a tendency to get caught up in the hype and this emotion when we see all these tweets and these articles. Like, just step back for a second and think about the card and do a little research before you put your money there. Exactly. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. All right, Seth, it's been a good one. Indeed. So me and you, me and you handled it. We survived without Richard. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll be getting Richard back next week. Again, thank you everyone for joining in this week. We had a lot to talk about. A lot of stuff happens. It always seems a lot of stuff happens in between every single podcast. How is that possible? (laughs) How is that possible? So, yep, I guess we will see you next week. We'll have Richard back, and the whole crew will be back on track for next episode. So thanks, everyone, for stopping in. This is me and Seth signing out.